You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 28 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Cloud and Data Center Management MVP, Timothy Warner. This is Christian Buckley, and I'm coming to you with another MVP Buzz Chat interview, and I'm here with uh, Tim Warner. And Tim, why don't you introduce yourself and where you're from, what you do, a little bit about yourself. Sure thing, Christian. First of all, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's great. Um, Yeah, Tim Warner is my name. I can't tell you how many times people have said, Tim Warner, Time Warner. And I say, well, you can feel unique. You're about the 10,000th person who said that. But (laughs) I'm originally from Syracuse, New York, but I've lived in Nashville, Tennessee for the last 20 years or so. And I've been in IT for about 20 years now, actually. And I've specialized of late in the last handful of years in... um, automation and now especially I've kind of hyper specialized in Azure. I've always been a Microsoft specialist since the very beginning but I've also worked in the industry with Linux. I've supported Linux servers and Linux desktops and Mac OS environments. So really long story short is I'm basically an IT generalist. I love everything. So I work full-time as an author for Pluralsight developing computer-based training that sits squarely in my professional passion, which is the blending of information technology and and education. And this Azure thing has ramped up to the point where I have people asking me for my expertise. So I've got a little um, Azure cloud consultancy on the side. And as a trainer, it's especially nice to to have my hands in the industry as well as in the classroom. Really can't have one without the other. So I mean, so you're so your cloud and data center management MVP. The mm-hmm. uh, you know when when you have people come to you and, and and ask for help around Azure. I mean, kind of like what what are the areas? I mean, is it do you do you do like an Azure one hundred and one? Like, how do I get started? How do I utilize this resource? Mm-hmm. Like, what what do people come and ask about? What are they interested in, in doing? Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, the clients that I work with in my engagements are looking to me for they they normally they'll come to me because they like the way that I explain the technology. It makes sense to them. And almost universally, they're in a situation where it's coming from above that we've got to, for some reason or another, start to move some resources or deploy applications from scratch in Azure. Now what? Or maybe they've already done it and given it their best effort and they're afraid that they've made mistakes along the way. So they look at my training with Pluralsight and they think, well, I understand the way this guy explains things. And it's amazing that I've had to do very little hands-on work for my consulting clients. Maybe that's one of the beauties of IT consultancy, especially with architecture. You can make suggestions and let the customer do all the heavy lifting. But no, the education piece with Azure is so critical because... Almost universally, there's this thought, we've given it our best effort, we've lifted and shifted some VMs into Azure, we may have to speak to your expertise, we may be trying to do single sign-on from on-prem into Office 365, or we're using SharePoint online, and we're afraid that we've got vulnerabilities, security issues that we have open and we don't know about it, so teach us. So my consultancy is every bit as much about knowledge transfer as it is as 
in nuts and bolts IT work proper. I can see how there's, uh, you know, because a lot of people, you know, are find their way into Azure, myself included. I was like, I'm using one aspect of it. I have no idea the broad range of the other things that are out there. Mm -hmm. And with the constant barrage of uh, innovation, mm -hmm. of Microsoft adding and changing things and modifying it. And, uh, and, and I mean, I certainly need a refresher just to go in and walk through and, and uh, I mean, I almost like need a, just even for my small business, um, like somebody come in and do like an Azure tuning. Here's what you're doing. You know, exactly. this would be more efficient. Your fees would be lower or, Hey, you're not taking advantage of these three things. You know, what are you doing here? So do you do a lot of that kind of thing with clients as well? Oh, yes. Yeah. Sanity checks to make sure that they haven't missed anything important from all those aspects. Just like you said, hidden quote unquote, hidden costs. What are we paying for? I have a good example just from the other week. Um, I was asked to look at a client's environment and I discovered a whole bunch of the operations management suite or OMS services that were activated and being paid for each month. And this was a big surprise to, the, to my customer, another administrator or maybe a consultant that they had worked with in the far past had thought it was a good idea to turn on these services and they, the meter had been running on them for n number of months and they had no idea. So I was glad that I was able to help them save some money right off the bat. And, you know, with VMs, if you don't need to run the VM all the time, hey, did you know you can use Azure Automation to schedule VMs to shut down and start up on a schedule? Oh, yeah. wow. We've just saved ourselves 50%, you know, of what yeah. we were paying, this kind of stuff. That, the cost aspect is highly satisfying. Well, that's, and I think right there, I mean, like this, this has been a problem with, uh, you know, early on some of the messaging just, Hey, move, you know, get rid of this, the on-prem servers yeah. and move things over there. The, the problem with that is that the way that you're utilizing your on-prem environment, you can't just shift, lift and shift, whatever the, uh, that over to um, Azure, the cloud in general, and run it the same way. It has to then be optimized right. for that because mm -hmm. there is that transaction cost, the calls that are being made and can be, a lot of those things be, need to be more efficient um, so that, you know, just from that cost, that standpoint, but also that, uh, um, you know, organizations that go and do the lift and shift and then um, complain about some of the performance issues around that. It's like, again, the way that you have it architected, it's not set up to utilize it in an optimized way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I stress that a lot in my training and in my consultancy. How you approach your IT infrastructure on premises, the paradigm is fundamentally different in the cloud. I have clients who just assume, because it's all they know, that if we want to use Azure as a disaster recovery site, then we should build out multiple virtual networks, and we, we want to try to match the on-premises network infrastructure as much as possible. It's like, no, 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 no. Keep it simple, number one. You don't have to do a pure replication, you know? Um, the ability to hyperscale. Think of SQL Server clustering and, and all of that overhead and then think of say in Azure you've got Azure SQL database where two clicks of the mouse and you're geo replicating your database elsewhere in the world and it's just done for you I mean the scale right and the things you can do in Azure with just a line of PowerShell are just almost unthinkable to do on-prem right well you know it's it's, it's funny uh, being at the so I was at Microsoft at the beginning of what is now office 365 and it was 
-hmm. Microsoft managed uh, services or Microsoft managed yeah. solutions, depending on who you ask, but uh, right. MMS, which evolved into BPOS, which is the Business Productivity Online Services. But, uh, you know, as we talk with clients as well, I mean, even as we were going and kind of setting that up, even on the back end, so what is now, um, you know, uh, Office 365 is that uh, a standard the capacity planning for mm -hmm. that standard system. Like it was a crazy number of servers, the mm -hmm. physical servers to yeah. support these now granted enterprise, but for like a 5,000 seat customer, mm -hmm. it was like 12 to 15 servers. Crazy because we had to, we didn't have the data to be able to know what does this, you know, actually going to look like in a real, like we need to keep it. Here's the fake Microsoft word performant you know, we needed, you know, to build it where the majority 95% of the time we're using five to 7% of capacity, mm -hmm. but then these spikes and they're out there and that's what the cloud, you know, enables. Um, but you've got to make sure that it's architected. You constructed your solution to be able to take advantage of those, those benefits. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I, feel compelled to say this you obviously know this already but the huge wake-up call i think for some businesses is understanding that when you're consuming services like exchange online sharepoint online all the office 365 stuff they're providing data availability but they're not providing a lot in terms of disaster recovery. In other words, you still need to back up your data <laughs> right. at Microsoft's. That's not part of their responsibility and the shared responsibility model. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I look, I know that there are offerings if, on solutions like office yeah. 365 that, that are around there, that it is done automatically. But when you have it on um, Azure, I just heard this again this morning where somebody was talking about leveraging Azure was talking about, compliance and said, well, if you're using Azure, then you're compliant. Like, no, mm -mm. Um, you can have a compliant technology. Like Microsoft is compliant with whatever, how you're defining compliance in the first place. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, like, but they are compliant with the thing, the areas where they need to be compliant in offering this, but just the nature of you as a customer using that platform, using that technology, as soon as you touch it, it may no longer be, it may not be compliant mm -hmm. for you and your business. Yeah. And so that's why you need to make sure that depending on what solutions you have built, what you're doing, that you then go and ask those questions. Well, we have mm -hmm. an out of the box compliant solution. We're using Azure, we're using Office 365, we're using whatever it is, things that you're hosting up in there you've developed. But then is say understanding what your compliance, your security compliance regulatory requirements are ensuring that the way you're using it is also then compliant, which could mean creating new policies and procedures, buying third-party tools for monitoring, auditing, the, the backup and recovery, as you say, like a lot of those things that um, there are capabilities within the platform, but then you need to make sure, does this do what I need to do for me to be compliant? Yeah. It, it's, yeah it's amazing I that I, like, I have to explain that to some clients, but like, yeah. but I do a lot. Right. Yeah, it's not, the cloud can take on almost a mysterious aspect and you just think that it just works and it just does stuff and it isn't always the case. I want to give a shout out to the Microsoft Trust Center to your viewers and listeners if they're not aware of it because Microsoft has completely documented all of their industry regulatory compliance attestations and they deep dive into how to's where you can they show you what Azure features map to different compliance requirements and actually step you through how to 
to use them to that end. Yeah, it, it was a huge gap three, four years ago. They have done a fantastic job. Yep. Mm -hmm. I talked about that a lot. And that, again, they're like, they're constantly adding to that. So it is mm -hmm. like, if you need to understand, I, like I asked this or for clients that then bring up the fact of the trust issues with moving things to the cloud. Right. And they say, well, yeah. it doesn't, I don't know that it meets my security or compliance. Mm -hmm. Like, like what are the requirements? Like, well, these mm -hmm. standards, these different certifications be like, okay, if you looked and see whether Microsoft has those certifications, then again, it's the matter of whether you are applying it correctly, you're leveraging the technology that you're compliant with, that you're using it. But the network, what Microsoft provides, if it's like, hey, we are ISO, we are you know GDPR, we are whatever the the, the standards are um, that are your requirements. Like they say, they do it. You know, they they've got it documented. Yep. Yeah, and actually related to that, one of the most valuable things about my MVP award is having direct access with the various Microsoft product teams to get heads up, you know, under NDA of roadmap stuff, but also to be able to ask for motivation and clarification on what is out there. I've learned yep. so much from them and hopefully I've been able to add some value to their day as well. Yeah. And, and to say too, then they're not infallible. I mean, at, at the MVP summit, like I brought up, I had just, I went from a conference out in uh, um, Branson, Missouri, and I went straight to Redmond, Washington to mm -hmm. attend the MVP, the annual summit, and brought uh, some several questions uh, uh, from this, this uh, uh, friend of mine working with a very large uh, Midwest uh, customer, and got an answer from the product team that was incorrect. It was their understanding of it, mm -hmm. but they didn't realize that there was actually a hole, there was a little uh, workaround that's like they weren't aware of wow. um, and mm -hmm. so brought it to their attention and they're like you know thank you so much and they they came back like a week later with an official answer for for us it's not yet I'm not I'm not giving details because sure. it's still like not out there so it was under NDA but they mm -hmm. authorized me to go and talk with uh, the friend and this this client and give mm -hmm. them some guidance um, but mm -hmm. it's uh, but you're right. I mean, it's it's great to have those connections and be able to have those conversations. I would argue, however, that any customer um, can go in through like the Microsoft mm -hmm. tech community, yeah. through user voice, through other mm -hmm. channels, um, certainly participation in the GitHub uh, you know, efforts yes. and provide commentary and interact. And Microsoft is dramatically changed from the decade ago mm -hmm. when I worked there in that they are very invested in participating daily in those. In fact, it's part of job descriptions with some product and engineering roles that they participate in those channels. You know, that really inspires a question. I want to interview the interviewer. <laughs> what, what do you think happened that resulted in the new Microsoft? What was involved in that sea change in your experience? Well, um, so I, I look, I know that it's a much more complex answer to that, but um, I put um, change in the top leadership and Satya mm -hmm. Nadella coming on board mm -hmm. and a couple other longtime executives. I'm not, won't get into the detail. Um, yeah. I do have a little bit of animosity with a couple folks because I thought they just screwed things up in a big way. Mm -hmm. um, they're no longer with the company. Um, and that made a huge difference. I mean, Satya's um, 
uh, you know, there's, I mean, I have my perspective. I've got yeah. friends that are, you know, much more senior than I was in there that, mm-hmm. um, that also had, uh, you know, feedback with the top leadership team presented to Bill and Steve, Bill Gates wow. and Steve Ballmer, you know, and, and some of the feedback, which just, um, again, I think uh, confirmed some of my experiences at the lower levels. And so much of that has changed now where it's a culture of listening. It's a culture of, of the whole one Microsoft movement right. of the, you know, because I mean, we, historically Microsoft, your product owners, like you own a feature, you own, you know, uh, features within a specific build around that activity yeah. and is very detached. Mm-hmm. I used to go to Microsoft R&D lectures um, and presentations where internally they say, we're working on this. And inevitably, um, questions were asked like, hey, you know, the pro- this product team is working on something very similar to what you just described. Like, are you talking to them? Like, oh, we didn't, weren't aware that they were doing that. Like, what? Um, you know, and I think a lot of that is changed where um, Satya's first keynote um, at the partner conference so from four years ago, mm-hmm. where he talked about needing to look at customer problems end to end. Customers don't look at a feature. They look, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. I'll be in the mm-hmm. screen here. And Microsoft may do this portion and this portion and this portion, but there's these gaps. And if they don't do it, then they need to make sure that they support what customers need for that end to end that it reflected poorly on Microsoft for not taking into consideration these other areas. And Satya said something, sorry, and I go on the diatribe on this because it's something I talk about once in a while, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but is that he said, um, our goal is to create, I'm paraphrasing, our goal is to create the best software out there. And where we don't have the best solution, we should integrate with, partner with those that have the best solutions. That attitude yes was the turning point, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I echo that 100%. That's been my observation and experience. Microsoft looking at competitors as potential partners, and that's not always reciprocated. I'm thinking of Amazon, v- VMware, and Apple, but in many right. cases, it is reciprocated. Yeah, and it, I mean, depends what it is. And I look yeah. at, you know, and you can't knock a company for looking at and doing the math and saying, we don't believe yeah. that it's in our financial welfare yeah. to then go and have the partnership. There's got to be value both sides. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I, but agreed. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting space. I know there's, there's a lot going on. Well, let's say, you know, Tim, just to like wrap up. So I mean, what's, what's the latest of things that you're working on? And how can people get in touch with you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm in the middle of a big initiative that Pluralsight has going with Microsoft. We're doing a bunch of Azure courses along all the different personas, the IT pro, the developer, the architect. So those courses are publishing. You can get to them at azure.com if you go in their training section. You can get them at Pluralsight website, pluralsight.com. Those are actually free courses. You don't have to pay anything for those. So you could find my contact information at the Pluralsight website. Just look up my name, Tim Warner. Or on Twitter, for instance, I'm Tech Trainer Tim. My personal website is techtrainertim.com, easily enough. And I look forward to connecting with anybody who wants to connect. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Tim, for your time. Of course, we'll have a summary blog post that'll have a lot of the links as well. If there's anything else that you'd like to share within that, I'm happy to provide links through that. And, and uh, 
uh, you know, thanks a lot for your time today. It was great to, uh, to get to know you, to talk to you and, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll see you soon at, uh, another event. You ever get out to Salt Lake city? I mean, where I'm in the home of Pluralsight. Yeah, I was just going to say Pluralsight is based there in South Jordan, I think, is where yep. we're located. Yeah, now. it's about a 10 minute drive from uh, from my house here. But uh, hmm, yeah, cool. I, I said I, I, I don't often go to the airport here in Salt Lake without mm -hmm. seeing somebody with a Pluralsight is a Pluralsight oh, shirt. Yeah. So I've, I've talked with execs and other things. Huh. I've like, I've, I've met a couple times Aaron Sconard too, and uh -huh. was uh, connected on, on uh, LinkedIn, but uh, you know, he's not been as responsive since prior to the, uh, the, the IPO and, uh, and post. I think he's been busy. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that guy develop. I mean, he's been really inspirational to me to see him go from, cause I've been with Pearl site for a number of years now. Mm -hmm to see him go from a startup founder, well, originally a tech trainer yeah. <laughs> and a developer, yeah. to a startup founder, now to this CEO of a public company. Yeah, and he's, he's a uh, genuinely nice guy, and mm -hmm. he does a ton mm -hmm. with the community. It's just, it's great to see that, so. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, well, Tim, thanks a lot for your time, and we'll uh, connect with you soon. Okay, thanks, Christian. Wow.